0: This week, we continue our series in Unsung Heroes Part 2 by flipping to the book of Exodus. In this series, we've taken a look at some of the characters in Scripture that may not be super well known, but can be an encouragement to us. This week, we find our unsung hero near the end of the book of Exodus, and his name is Bezalel. I say that like 10 times fast. I, I tripped over that thing like 30 times practicing. Bezalel. So yeah, they put like the, 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 the consonants and the vowels in weird places for me, and my tongue gets tied. But anyway, I love his story. I love how God used him, and I hope that you will be encouraged, as I was, by how God uses this unsung hero. Our text this morning is Exodus chapter 31, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 6. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to follow along. There should be a Bible in the pew in front of you, if you would prefer, or the words will be up on the screens. We read the word of the Lord. This morning, Exodus 31, verses 1 to 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. Amen. Joan was excited when she saw that her school was putting on a spring play. She'd always loved drama class and acting, and she couldn't wait to be involved. As the days for the tryouts got closer, she would rehearse with her mother at breakfast before school, going through the lines of the character that she really wanted, the detective. The one who got to examine the clues and figure out the mystery. Tryouts came and went. Joan felt like she nailed it she was a shoe-in. And then the day came when all the students who had tried out for the play gathered in the gym, and the teachers called out the names of the ones who had earned particular roles. The first name called was the role of the detective, and it was not Joan's name that left the teacher's lips. She was disappointed, but the boy who got the role was a few grades above her, so she could accept it. Maybe she'd get the role of chief of police, or even the villain. That that could be pretty fun. The chief of police went to a girl a grade above her, but the villain went to a boy in her own grade, and Joan was devastated. This is what she had wanted. She, She loved drama. She loved becoming a different character. She loved getting lost in the role. I guess I'm just not good enough thought Joan miserably, as the roles she had wanted so badly were given to others. She did hear her name called three times, actually. She had three different roles in the play, but none of them were the roles that she had wanted. None of them felt very important. How many times have we been sitting in our chairs or on our couches, scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or whatever socials you may subscribe to, and seeing the lives that some of our friends are living and wondering, if only briefly, what life would be like if we had been given a different role? Sometimes we see roles that we are so glad were not given to us, (laughs) but we tend to fixate on the roles that we wished we had been given, don't we? It's hard when we scroll through Facebook or Instagram or go to that family reunion or that high school reunion or meet up with those people we haven't seen in so long and get to hear about how they are living the life that we wished we were living. I went to my 15-year high school reunion while I was in seminary. I know, 15's like an odd number. That's weird. Like, normally you don't get together for your 15. But I happened to be in town, and there's a bunch of people that still live in town that went so... They went, and and it happened, and I, I figured that since I lived there, I should probably show up. There weren't very many of us, but there was a particular person there, one that I had seen on my socials enough times to wish that he wasn't going to be there because he was getting to do so many of the things that I had envisioned for myself in life. His metabolism hadn't forgotten how to function for one, so that was pretty nice for him, looking svelte in his button-down shirt. He owned a house. He had a great paying job. He had a nice minivan. Now, to be clear, I hadn't really envisioned myself in a minivan. That, That wasn't my first choice. But hey, once you've crossed that line, it's hard to argue with great gas mileage, seats that fold down in the back and dual sliding doors. I was driving around a beat-up 2002 Dodge Caravan that I just hoped would survive until I graduated seminary. It didn't, by the way, but thankfully I didn't know that at my reunion. This friend of mine was able to take his kids on the vacations that I'd only dreamed of being able to take my kids on. He had so many of the roles that I wanted. What was wrong with me? I could do the things that this guy could do. I, I had the abilities this guy had. How come I wasn't getting the same breaks? the same roles? How come I didn't have the same security? Is, is it too much to ask for power locks and AC that works in a van you're stuffing children into? I got the rust. Can I at least have the power sliding doors? Sitting at that reunion, it was hard not to be jealous. It was hard not to ask questions like, what's wrong with me? How, how come I didn't get the roles that I would hoped I'd get growing up? Forget growing up that, that I hoped I'd get just a few years ago. Why has what I wanted not been given to me? Why was it given to someone else? We put importance on roles, like Joan in the school play and like myself in my bitter envy. We put importance on certain roles, and that can lead us to overlook the roles that we have been given, can't it? It can cause us to devalue the place that we are in life right now, the place that God has brought us, the place to which he has led us. And if we do this in day-to-day life, do we also do this in the church? It is tempting as a church to look at those who have been called to the role of pastor, elder, worship leader, director, or youth director, and think like Joan. All right, they got the important roles. What's left for me in this mission of God's? What importance can I have if I'm not given one of the roles that I view as having the most importance?" Some pound nails, some break bread or bake bread. Some balance spreadsheets, some cook food, some deliver the mail, some answer the phones, some teach children, some stay at home with kids. Some take care of their grandparents, some take care of their parents, some clean houses. Some are nurses. Some are veterinarians. I, I don't know what it is that you do. It could be any of these. It could be none of these. But as we look at the role that we have been given, do you ever feel like your role isn't as important as you'd like it to be? Do you ever feel like you could have been doing something more that you aren't meeting the potential that you have in the world or in the church or in God's mission? Sometimes we can get so caught up in the roles that we have been given that we allow those roles to limit the way that God can use us. I'm not the pastor, we think. I'm not the youth leader. I'm not the worship director. I'm not the Sunday school teacher. I haven't been given any of those roles, so God must not have a place for me in his mission. I'm not important enough for that. I'm not gifted enough for that. When we are distracted by feeling unimportant in the role that we have been given in life and in the church, let us remember the unsung hero from our text this morning. Bezalel wasn't Moses, he wasn't Aaron, he wasn't part of the leadership circle of the people of Israel. He worked with his hands, he was a day laborer, he was an artist. And in our text this morning, we read in verses 3 that God filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Now, according to the commentary that I used and the research that I followed up with, this is the first time that we see this type of language used in Scripture. We're used to, right? We've, we've come to expect the prophets and the kings, the big names that we know, David and Elijah, Samuel and, and Isaiah. These are the characters in Scripture that are in the roles that we expect to be filled with the Spirit of God. And yet the first time this is recorded in the Old Testament, it's not one of the people that we would expect. It's the laborer. It's the artist. It's the guy barely anyone even knows I didn't know this guy's name until this past week, did you? And yet this is the guy, this no-name, unsung hero who is the first that we see in Scripture that is filled with the Spirit of God. Why? Why did God fill him with the Spirit? That he might make fantastic and beautiful art, decorations, the molding of silver and bronze, the cutting and setting of stones, working with wood and engaging in all kinds of crafts. Not what we typically think of someone being empowered to do when we we think of a person being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I love it. I love it. Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit that he might build God's temple, that he might make God's home beautiful, that he might build God's church well. He may not have the role that was desired. He wasn't Moses. He wasn't the one leading the people out of Israel and parting waters and meeting God on mountains. He wasn't Aaron, the first of the priests, the right hand to Moses, the second most powerful person in the nation. And he wasn't Miriam, the sister of these two great men who kept their counsel and held influence in the decisions that directed the course of their nation. It wasn't any of the roles that would have typically been desired, but his role, his place, his job mattered enough to God that he was filled with the Holy Spirit that it might be accomplished. Church, God is using us, each of us, to build his church. There isn't a role in the kingdom that is unimportant to God, whether it's bringing snacks for the cafe or singing in the worship team or greeting at the door or being a guide at VBS or just saying hello to someone you haven't seen before, manning the care center or doing needed repairs and upgrades to the building or reading scripture and prayer. God is using you, calling you to be part of his church, and that's just what happens inside the building. Think of all the ways that God is calling you, desiring to use you outside the building. Maybe it's pounding nails or baking bread, balancing spreadsheets, cooking food, delivering the mail, answering phones, teaching children, staying at home with the kids, taking care of your grandparents, taking care of your parents, cleaning houses, being a nurse, being a veterinarian, doing whatever role. God has called you to, and doing it well, not for your glory, but for his, for the benefit of those around you. A quote that is often attributed to Martin Luther, the great reformer, is this, the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. The problem is, Luther never said it. I didn't know that until recently. However, Frederick Geyser, a uh, A professor at Luther College wrote a paper entitled, What Luther Didn't Say About Vocation. And in it, he makes the argument that if this quote were actually Luther's, it would go something like this. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because his neighbor needs good shoes. Geiser writes, God likes shoes and good ones. Not for their own sake, but because the neighbor needs shoes. What marks Luther's doctrine of vocation is the insistence that the work is done in the service, service of the neighbor and the world. A quote that is Luther's echoes this sentiment. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. What a fantastic vision of what God has called each of us to. Whether we are in church leadership or not, each of us has been called in a role in God's mission so how are we doing with that how are we doing with being part of the church and God's mission no matter what role God has called us to fill it's difficult when we're not in the role that we may have wanted maybe we feel like we weren't worthy of the role we wanted and yet and yet the more we read scripture the more we familiarize ourselves with God's word the more we recognize that being worthy isn't part of the equation Though our world may look at worth and ability, God is the one who supplies worth and ability. No one by their own merit, their own actions, has been declared worthy of being a part of the family of God. Whether that role is pastor, elder, trustee, deaconess, greeter, or janitor, it is not by our own merit. It is not because of the things that we have done that God has given us the roles that we are in. No, if it was left up to our own merit, we wouldn't be qualified to scrape the gum off the bottom of the pews wretched sinners that we are. But God knew this. He knew that we could not earn his favor through the works of our hands or the schemes of our hearts, and yet still he loved us. We could never be good enough for any of the roles he desired us to fill, and yet he still desires us to fill them. And so to a broken and sinful world, God sent a savior, God sent Jesus. And Jesus lived among us, he taught us, he suffered with us, he laughed with us, and he cried with us. Where we are sinful and fall, Jesus never lost his balance. He never once fell into temptation. He never once sinned. Which made it all the more painful when he was accused of sin and condemned to die. So he took a cross up a hill. But on his shoulders he carried more than just the weight of that cross. He carried the sins of the world, your sin, my sin. He carried all of the sin and there on the top of the hill, on top of Calvary, he was nailed to the cross. And as he hung there, the Bible tells us that he became sin for us. He took upon himself all of the failures of all the world and all the times that we have hurt God in our sin. Jesus took that, and he paid the price for that. And as the wrath of God was poured out on him and he died, he died in our place for our sin. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And the Bible tells us that when we believe in him, When we recognize our need, recognize that we could never be good enough to earn favor with God, but that we need Jesus and his death on our behalf. When we believe this and put our faith and our hope in Jesus, the filthy rags of our sins are taken from us, and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Through faith, we are saved. Through faith, we receive the benefits of Christ's death, the benefits of forgiveness. Through faith, we are reconciled to God and are brought into his family. God is the one who has called us to the roles that we have been given, even if they are not the roles that we are expecting or maybe even hoping for. The night of the big play came and passed, and Joan's parents had a great night. They had a great seat to see their daughter perform. It was a big success, and Joan's parents were so proud of their little girl. They went out for ice cream to celebrate, and as the night wore on, after Joan crawled into bed, Joan's mother paused a moment after their time of prayer. And she turned her eyes on her daughter and said, Joan, I know you didn't get any of the roles you really wanted in the play this year. But dear, without the roles you did get, there wouldn't have been a play. The detective needed the witness, and you played a very convincing witness. The chief of police Needed the driver, and you did such a great job at being the driver. And the villain needed all of his henchmen, and your henchman was on point. You didn't have many speaking lines, and the spotlight wasn't on you very often. But if you hadn't been in this play, there wouldn't have been a play at all. I don't know how Joan responded to her mother's words, but I have been convicted in my response to my classmate. I looked at him with envy, and in so doing, I diminished all that God had blessed me with. I diminished all that God has called me to, and I've needed to repent of that. And I know that God has forgiven me for that. And there are days when I see what others have and wish I had those things. But God continues to remind me of all that he has given me, and all that he has provided for me, and he has continued to remind me of the role that he has called me to. And I don't always fulfill that role very well. I'm certainly not always the best father, and I'm definitely not always the best husband. I fall on my face as your pastor at times. I'm not as good a friend as I should be, and I'm not always engaged in the mission that God has asked me to join him in. And so I need to continue to repent of how I have dropped the ball in the roles that God has called me to. But church... My failure to fulfill my roles perfectly does not mean that God takes those roles from me. No, he continues to stretch me and to mold me and shape me so that I can be a better father to my kids, a better husband to Karen, a better friend to be more engaged with the ministry that he has called me to and to be a better pastor to you. Know that God has not given up on you even when you feel like giving up on yourself. He has a plan for you. He is carrying out that plan right now and will continue to call you into roles in his kingdom that your neighbor might be blessed by you and that God might be given the glory. So as you leave this morning, I encourage you not to be discouraged by the roles that God has called you to. There isn't an unimportant role in the family of God. God gave his spirit to the artists that they might craft a beautiful temple that God's glory might be known. And God has given each of us his spirit that among other things, through the working of the spirit in our lives, God might use us to build a beautiful church, to grow his fantastic kingdom. That our neighbor might know and see the glory, power, and majesty, grace, mercy, and love of the God that we serve. Amen.